This is 20 minutes of marketing and PR insights by SCA, the Space Communication Alliance. Hello, and thank you for joining us for our fourth episode. Today, we are joined by the talented David Delaney, Chief Creative Officer at Perihelion, the creative agency of the space sector, and of course, one of the founding members of the SCA. David's background is in animation and in his role at the agency, he spends a lot of time using animation as a compelling storytelling device to help brands and clients drive their business and tell a story to their audiences. He's worked with the European Space Policy Institute, the FFG, the European Centre for Space Law in Austria, and many more clients. Interesting fact, by the way, the term perihelion refers to the point in the orbit of a planet or other astronomical body at which it is closest to the sun. So rather hot. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell us just a little bit more about yourself before we dive into today's kind of topics about yourself and the agency and some backgrounds. Yeah. So I think like many people in the space sector, I didn't necessarily imagine myself working here when I was at school and I was thinking about what I wanted to study. So my background is actually quite different. I, I have a background in art and music. I've always been interested in kind of creative pursuits. I've been playing piano since I was about six and I'm very interested in music theory and at college, art and music were my, my main strong points. I chose to focus on art rather than music because there were so many more talented musicians than I, but I always did quite well in art class and I was quite happy to take the easier route in that sense. Within the art subject, I specialized in portrait painting. That was my preferred thing. But when I was at college, I became aware of animation as a career path and not only kind of animation in the sense of like what Disney's been doing it since the 1920s. But at the time that I was at college, there was a rise in this digital animation. Flash animation is what it was called at the time because it was all animated in Macromedia Flash, which is now part of the Adobe suite. And it was the first time that I was aware of where you could, in your own bedroom with your computer, you could put together a little short story yourself and you could publish it on online. There was this website called Newgrounds where all of these short animations were published and you could be seen by millions of people if your animation was good enough, if your storytelling was good enough. So I decided to specialize in this. I went to university in Bournemouth in the south of England and I studied animation production as a bachelor's. Bachelor of Arts. Most people, after graduating this course, they take a career path into the VFX industry, let's say working for something like Framestore, a motion picture company, working on these big budget kind of Marvel movies and or even down to TV productions these days, doing a lot of compositing and quite a lot of drudge work, it's fair to say. The lucky ones do get their short films to film festivals and they make the circuit that way and then maybe they get the budget to make a feature film or a series themselves or they may get to work on an exciting TV series. So I started there hoping to get into kind of animation for kids TV. That was my main goal. Ultimately, I would have loved to have worked in short films. That's kind of my preferred storytelling kind of method. Feature films are, of course, exciting, but the amount of work involved is just so daunting. Yeah. And there's something to be said, I think, for concise story, there's something really attractive about a short story. It's like a polished gem. But I didn't actually get much success in terms of that career field. It was a very competitive field. And so I ended up working in corporate animation. So I was doing moving logos, motion graphics, this kind of stuff for TV spots, adverts, all kinds of things, instructional videos, training courses, things that nobody really cared much to see and <laughs> weren't very interesting. 
But I did learn a lot about the technical side of things and working on time and to a budget and everything else. Eventually, I did move to the sustainability sector where I applied the lessons that I learned in the corporate world to instead of selling a product or a service, it was more about championing a cause. And in this case, it was the push for sustainability and the widespread kind of adopting of policies that supported a green economy going forward. This was very much around the time of COP24 in Paris, but COP22, perhaps. I'm getting the numbers mixed up. The one in Paris. But <laughs> the one in Paris. But it was a really interesting challenge because obviously we needed to get people to care about something that is really impactful and will have a great impact in the future. But a lot of people didn't really care about. And it also required people to make sacrifices in the short term for long term gains. And that's a hard sell for anybody. You talk about storytelling and the role of animation, particularly in film. But with your move into corporate animation, perhaps you found a different experience when it comes to the device of storytelling and the challenges that you just touch on where you're trying to elicit a change in consumer behavior ultimately. Yeah, the great thing about storytelling is that it's universal. Not only do you find it everywhere, but you can apply it to anything. So you can find ways to apply storytelling to the corporate world. And that could be something as simple as telling a compelling narrative, or it could be telling your journey as a company, or it can be using one of the archetypes of stories to sell your product or your service by placing your product or service into the story as a character or something that aids the character. You mentioned the universality of storytelling. How do you find that the different archetypes in storytelling lend themselves to different cultures and different corporate briefs even who need to speak to different markets? How do you find that storytelling evolves as a creative device and as a lens into culture? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, of course, but a story is anything that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a story could be an anecdote or a joke. A joke would be, for example, a three-part joke would be a setup, the build-up, and then the payoff or the punchline. And a story follows, can follow this three-act structure, of course, as well. But there are also many other archetypes of story structures. And an archetype is something where it's a recognizable pattern that you spot across any time or place or language or belief. And it appears again and again. There are actually seven types of stories. Uh, apparently, you can boil all stories down to these seven types, these archetypes. There's overcoming the monster, whereby you defeat an evil. It could be an evil character, an evil person, an antagonist. Or it could be, for example, in sustainability, the evil is climate change, right? It could be rags to riches, which is the underdog tale. So the story of an overlooked or downtrodden person achieving success. And a happy ending. It could be the quest. The quest is where the hero, the archetypal hero, sometimes the hero along with their allies, go on a journey to search for a treasure and they seek out and overcome great odds in getting this treasure. And uh, yeah, historically, this usually means getting a romantic treasure at the end as well. You have the voyage and return, which is like a fish out of water story. A normal person is transported to a strange and alien world and has to find their way back home. You have a comedy, but not in terms of the ha comedy, but the Shakespearean comedy, which is a misunderstanding or a miscommunication that keeps two people apart. And they have to overcome this misunderstanding in order to be united in love. You have tragedy in terms of the tragic character is somebody who 
due to usually their own mistake, they go on a journey where it's the opposite of the rags to riches story. So they they are befelled by terrible, sorrowful events, and they do not get a happy ending. And then finally, you have the rebirth, which is a story of change and renewal. And you could think of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. He's a miserly person who doesn't know anything about charity or generosity or the human spirit. And he goes through an experience or an event that changes who he is fundamentally as a person. So you can apply these archetypes to perhaps, yeah, a corporate identity. You could place your company or your individual branding, let's say, as a character in one of these stories. And you can tell your story in this context. Or you could sell your product or your service as uh, a character or a tool that enables like a hero or a protagonist to achieve their goals. I don't think you could necessarily tell your product or service as a tragedy. I think it would be difficult to make that sell. Perhaps not the goal or the content they're looking to create. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really fascinating that there are these seven archetypal stories that seem to translate different cultures and audiences and can be repurposed for different briefs. I'm definitely looking out for these archetypes now when I'm looking at stories everywhere. Mm, you'll start to see them now everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. see if I can identify them. Talking about bridging different cultural divides mm -hmm. for different, especially the corporate briefs, how do you approach that? You have these archetypal stories, but how do you perhaps adapt them for different audiences? It's obviously a challenge because storytelling is an act of communication. And the difference in language is one barrier to communication, but also differences in culture can be another communication. I sometimes find that in business with my partner and wife, Judith, that we have quite a different approach when it comes to things because I can be quite indirect. Coming from England, we have a reputation, especially in Europe, of, let's say, beating around the bush. So we won't directly address the problem. We might, have you considered the other point of view? Have you considered that? Do you think maybe that you have done this? Whereas typically, <laughs> you might find that people who do business in Germany might be direct to the point of being considered to be rude or abrupt in England. Sometimes even working together, we find that it's this cultural difference which can prove to be a barrier to our communication. And having an understanding of the differences in this culture really enables you to overcome this or perhaps come up with ways to mitigate it. While there are archetypal story structures that can be spotted in all cultures, each culture actually has its own folklore. And the folklore is usually like the basis for a particular culture. So you have collections of folk tales. In Europe, we have, for example, the Brothers Grimm, which is probably the basis for all of popular animation, feature film animation in Europe and the US. If you think of any Disney film, it's usually an adaptation of a folk tale that was originally collected by the Brothers Grimm. Now, I say collected because they didn't write these things themselves. Much like the 1001 Nights, which in Europe is known as the Arabian Nights, it's a collection of folktales that go back to the beginning of time. They predate writing in a lot of cases, and they're shared by a particular people or culture or subgroup. And you can even consider them to be an early form of meme. Mm -hmm. They're a, a form of cultural information transfer, a way of passing on a lesson to the next generation. And there are many types of folklore, including kind of legend and myth. But stories, as opposed to mythology, stories are based in reality. They can include fantastic or supernatural events or characters, but really they're grounded in the real world, whereas a mythology can be something that's entirely fictional, a story that takes place amongst the gods, for example. The stories that, while they vary from culture to culture, they're often a reflection of a shared heritage of a people. 
And so you can learn, you can gain great insight into people by analyzing and reading up on their history of storytelling and the types of stories that are popular and the types of lessons that they impart with these tales. Because stories can just be entertainment. They can terrify or they can excite or they can scare, but they're often a cautionary tale or like a moral tale. Sometimes they can be really straightforward in terms of you should wash your hands before touching your mouth or you should not press the big red button. You should be careful around fire. These are the kind of stories that we might want to impart to our children in order for them to learn a particular lesson to keep them safe. But societies sometimes use folk stories or stories to instruct a people on how they want to live. So you find, for example, in the West, our folk tradition is based very much on kind of Christian morality. Do not steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, these kind of things. But if you look at, for example, Chinese mythology, it's a lot more about kind of legalism and moralism. So you should act a particular way. It's really fascinating to delve into this, and it is an entire area of study in itself, kind of the study of folklorics or the study of kind of the structure of a story. But the other element that we haven't discussed yet is also the act of storytelling. Because stories predate writing, it's usually been an oral tradition. So much like this podcast, it's an act whereby I'm hopefully getting the attention of you two here, but perhaps our listeners as well. And the degree to which I succeed in that probably is based on my ability to, a bit like the joke, just to set up a scene and to build up anticipation and then to deliver a payoff or maybe a punchline, if I can remember a joke or two. <laughs> no pressure, makes a laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned the different forms of storytelling. It came to mind when you mentioned that now memes can be considered storytelling in their own right. And it made me think about the different ways that storytelling can be done from animation and beyond for different stories for different audiences. So you might have one story, but I imagine it can be told in myriad of ways. I wonder if you have any examples that you can share of different forms of storytelling. One very interesting form of storytelling is the short story. And it's my preferred method for animations that we produce at Perihelion. That's not just because of the budgetary kind of considerations. It's a lot cheaper and it takes a lot less time to put together two-minute animation. is like our ideal length to tell a compelling story than it is to tell a two-hour story. It's In fact, there is actually a genre of a short story which has gained a lot more popularity since the advent of social media, particularly Twitter. When Twitter had a word limit, you did actually get a genre of, I think they called it Twitlutra. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. But that tradition goes much further back. There's a genre called flash fiction, which is a short story. And there's a particular type of that, which is the six-word story. So it was like a, a challenge. I think it's often misattributed to Ernest Hemingway, but I think it goes further back. But the most often quoted short story, the six-word story, is it's a tragedy, yeah. is for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And there's a lot to unpack there, of course, but it's a very impactful story. And the implication is obviously that a hopeful couple was expecting the birth of a baby and has been hit by tragedy and is now overcoming or moving on. And there's a lot there in six words. So I, I think that there's something really attractive about distilling down like the act of telling a story to just its bare elements. So I think when we're approaching a client or a client is approaching us, we try and find their 
what it is that they're trying to communicate, first of all. Is it just a, an introductory video where they're telling the world who they are as a company? What's their company story? What's their history? What's their mission looking to the future? What's their goal? Or it could be a particular product or a service. And this will usually involve how would this product or service impact you, the potential consumer? So you have to describe, for example, a situation where there's a problem that could be overcome by using your product. That's the most straightforward one. But there are many different ways to tell a story in two minutes. As you can imagine, it's like a puzzle, isn't it? You have all of these pieces and you can assemble them in different ways. Sometimes you can start a story in the middle, for example, and then you can go back and tell the beginning and then you can tell the end. The most famous example I can think of is Pulp Fiction, which yeah. starts off with our two main characters and they die halfway through, but then it goes back to the beginning. Spoiler alert. But John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson are still alive at chronologically at the end of the film, but chronologically in terms of the story, they got killed halfway through. But because of the order that the story's told, it still feels like these characters are part of your story. Mm. I love the reference to the different types of storytelling throughout dig digital mediums as well. I'm not going to try and say, or, okay, I'm going to now. I've committed twist to a letra. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yeah, and that six-word story, it made me think of the visual element to animation storytelling because there's this use of white space, blank space in any kind of visual storytelling art. And in communication, the written word and the spoken word, it's very we say as much in what's not said as we do in what we choose to say. And I think with that sixth word story that is most famous is because what is left unsaid makes that story so poignant. And it's something that I don't think is communications professionals. We actually talk about enough what we don't say, <laughs> what's left unsaid as a device in communications. I just thought I'd reflect on that for a minute because it, I found it really interesting that you touched on that sixth word story. And it's so profound because of the emotion that it evokes. I mean, it's heavy stuff. Obviously, the content of the story is pretty heavy stuff. So it's difficult to imagine being able to use the, that same kind of theme to sell a product or a service. It could backfire easily. I think the safe route in a lot of cases is to tell your story using kind of the obvious archetypes or the other yeah. obvious methods. But it takes real skill and tact, I think, in order to tell a story which can really have an emotional impact. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to the storyteller, of course, and also the medium that you choose to tell it with. There are very entertaining films out there that are very successful. The Marvel movies, for example, they don't really, you could argue that they have some kind of thematic discussion in there, but they don't really, that's not the purpose of them. They're entertainment, they're pure entertainment. So they're supposed to thrill and take you on this kind of roller coaster. And they're often described as these blockbuster movies where you want to see big explosions and dramatic characters and compelling action sequences. But these ones, while they're very financially successful, they don't often have a big cultural impact. So they're often forgotten soon after they exited the box office. Mm. But if you do choose to tell a story that seems a little less safe, it can be much more compelling. I'm thinking of an obvious example here. Again, something that's a very difficult theme Schindler's List, for example, is a story that is a very impactful story told by a very skilled director, Steven Spielberg, who is telling a story that he has a personal connection to. 
through his family's history in the war in Europe, but also it's handled with tact, it's done tastefully, and it has an element of truth to it. I think that it's difficult when spending money as a company, as a small or a large corporation, it's difficult to take risks. And I think that, yeah, on, a, on the whole, I think there is a tendency in Hollywood and also in kind of corporate storytelling to take the safe option. And it does lead to the same types of stories being told over and over again. And people get fatigued. You have everyone at the moment, I think, is suffering from an element of this kind of superhero fatigue where we've seen enough of kind of superhero stories and we'd, maybe we'd like to see something else. And you do see this, actually, if you look back at the last hundred years of cinema, you do see these kind of genres of story, like the superhero, the Western, the space picture, the sci-fi movie. These do fall in and out of fashion. You often see them going for 10 to 20 years. And you might think there's a lot of Marvel movies, but there were a lot of Westerns. <laughs> there were a lot of them. And then they didn't make any for decades and decades. And some genres never make it back into popular circulation, and others will again and again. I found that so interesting. I think we talked about so much in that one conversation, and we talked for a lot longer than we shared in this first part. So what's really stood out to me is the fact that it's harder than ever to be truly original. We think that there are new forms of storytelling, whereas in reality, it's more about the format of storytelling, but the types of stories being told seem to pertain to the same archetypes in history. So I found that really interesting. And there seemed to be this real battle for attention with video content as well. Yeah, 100%. The whole kind of the amount of video out there and the different ways to tell stories, that was really interesting because we're surrounded by content, aren't we? We're just consumed by it, um, and especially video content. That was really interesting, and the different types of stories. Maybe we'll look out for those stories now in the corporate world. There's a lot more that we talked to David about, and actually we kind of go into more detail about animation in general in the next episode and the different trends in animation. Tune in to the next episode where we pick up the conversation with David once again. Thank you very much for listening to the first 20 minutes. See you on the next uh, 20 minutes of marketing and PR insights by SCA.